Welcome to the ENR Critical Path Podcast. I'm Jeff Yoders. And I'm Eileen Cho. Today, we have a tech talk with Dr. Sarah Buckner. She is the founder and CEO of Trunk Tools, which is a provider of field technology for construction professionals. Um, she holds a PhD in civil systems engineering and data science and a Stanford MBA. She's a serial entrepreneur in the construction tech space. And Sarah is the most self-made person I've ever met. She grew up in a tiny village in Austria uh, in a family, you know, that, that didn't, wasn't a college family, started her career when she was 12 years old as a carpenter, worked her way up in construction. Trunk Tools targets the skilled labor shortage in the U.S. She's starting with the construction industry, but her plan is to expand into all kinds of other industries, mining, agriculture, other spaces where there's a tight labor market. And her mission is to put more money back into the people's pockets who actually do the work of the craft. By the way, you can meet more people like our guest today at our annual Future Tech Conference, the premier industry event for innovators and inventors embracing technology that will increase productivity, deliver efficiencies, improve safety, and profits on construction projects. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. And um, just to, to let our listeners know, um, you know, I described it there a bit, but yeah, tell us how you got into the, the tech space. You started in construction, right? Yeah, I started in construction and I, when somebody asks me on the street or in a bar or something, what I do, I still like to say I'm a carpenter because in the end, like, that's how I feel. Um, that's how my career started. So yeah, I started as a carpenter, became a foreman, a superintendent, eventually switched to the GC side because I thought the real money was in being a GC. And um, yeah, while I was running large um, high-risk projects, we had a fatality on site. And that was the point in my career. It was like the pivotal point in my career where I decided, hey, I think this industry needs change. At the same time, I was finishing a ton of degrees, including a PhD. And my PhD was pretty much in construction tech, right? Like computer science, data science, civil engineering. And so I had the academic background to actually produce software for the industry. And I had the industry background to actually know what the industry needs. And so when we had the fatality on site, I decided to change something. So I built a health and safety app. And that was the first time that I realized that by building software for our industry, we actually are able to have way bigger impact than by just building a single building. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we've talked about this before, you and I, how there is a disconnect between the people who actually build the projects and I don't want to say it's, it's entirely the designers who have that disconnect, but but there is there is a disconnect between the office and the field in construction too, and and developing tools like trunk tools, you you want them to actually be used in the field, right? You need to get to the to that place where you know there is potential for you know accidents, fatalities, any of that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I see it over and over again because m many times I get asked if I want to be an advisor for another con construction tech startup. And if there's not a real construction professional in their founding team, I just in general say no to, to this role because I strongly believe that if this, our industry is very specific. Construction is very hard to break in. It's mm -hmm. very different workflows than in other industries. So if you don't actually come from the industry, it's really, really hard to build something that will resonate with the people in the field. If you do white color software, okay. But if you actually want to build something for the field, I think and strongly believe you have to have been out there for many years. And so to this day, our team consists of more than 30% construction professionals, even though we're a software company. 
Sarah, it, it's amazing. It's, it shouldn't have to be, but it really is still to have a young, a young woman uh, in this industry already kind of making waves and really doing something to improve safety. As you were going up through the ranks and becoming a pro carpenter, did you experience any, you know, like I'm the only woman in the field or, or was it fairly seamless for you? <laughs> I think that's almost a rhetorical question. At this <laughs> I <point>. know. <laughs> um, I wish it weren't. Yeah, I know. Me too. I mean, that's why, why, you know, you and me are trying to change things here. I came into carpentry because my family needed money and my dad was a carpenter. So I was in the beginning, I was on site with my father and he kind of like, you know, protected me a little bit of these biases. But then as, as I moved up, like, obviously I couldn't be in every project with him. And so I, yeah, I went through probably like 10 years of hardcore discrimination and our hardcore, mm. like, just like, you know, and everything that we know from construction that it was really rough, but it was a time in my, my life where I was young enough to be like, Oh, I'm going to prove all these men wrong. Mm -hmm. And so this gave me enough drive to go through that phase where, you know, you, you are seen as a nobody and you're seen as somebody who doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm. I think it happens to men as well. If you're young in your career on a construction side, you're mostly like underappreciated and undervalued. And then I, but then I had like, 10 years under the belt right and all of a sudden I people took me seriously because I knew what I was doing and I was considered like you know knowing my stuff or being an expert slowly and by now I think it's interesting it it might might also almost be an advantage right now because it's hard to forget like you know like a, a young blonde woman in construction so but now it's almost like a brand I show up to conference there's 80 percent man and and then there's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it's having all that institutional knowledge too, and you, you knowing actually how things you know, get put together. You know, because respect isn't given on the job site. It has to be. You know, Earned. you have to show you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. And I think there's a reason for that, right? When you actually look at construction, I I think it was 19 years old when I when I kind of like managed my first construction site, and this was like. 10, 15 million dollars. And so tell me another industry where as a 19 year old, you are allowed to manage 10 to 15 million dollars. And so I think that's why respect has to be earned in our industry because you're dealing with so much capital and so much also human resources early on. Right. And you're also dealing with uh, human uh, lives. Um, yes. I, if I may, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that pivotal moment? I mean, I'm, you don't need to go into gory details, but was it someone you were friends with, or like how? And, and what did you? What were your thoughts in in the immediate aftermath that eventually evolved into what you're doing now? So I knew the person. Yeah, I had lunch with him two days before it happened, mm. and it was one of like was a scaffolding accident. Like Jesus. you know, everybody in construction knows about them, has heard about them. And I think interestingly, it was at a point in time where we didn't leverage software at all. And it was mm -hmm. really, it was, there was a quick solution to teaching people how to, you know, use their safety gear. And, and it wasn't like the big, you know, AI driven genius software piece that, that we came up with. It was really just a solution to, to, to fix a small problem on site with a potentially huge impact. And so it was very, it was devastating. I, I struggled with it a lot, uh, but then obviously like the solution was fairly rewarding. And so that 
put me on the path of like, hey, if you do something well in the software space for this industry, you might impact a lot of lives positively way quicker than just being a good manager and treating your team well. Yeah, one of our Award of Excellence winners, Vicki O'Leary, um, you know, she gives a good speech about how every day, uh, you know, these decisions <clears throat> on the site in the rod patch can can result in something that, you know, there are real risks out there. They happen. Yeah. Yeah, and we see this now with, uh, so Trunk Perform is our incentive management software, and our top performers on site make $2,000 net more a month, right? If you think about that, it's like $24,000 a year uh, after tax. That cannot just change your life, but it changed the trajectory of your next generation, right? You can all of a sudden send your kids to better schools. You can give them better health care. So it really, it, like, it has a fundamental impact on the whole family. And that's really what we're trying to achieve here. And I hope everyone listening uh, read the articles I wrote about Sarah and Trunk Tools in ENR. But uh, if you haven't, um, Trunk Tools is an app where uh, contractors, you know, work with Trunk Tools. They set up um, their accounting software and everything with it, where you can incentivize specific crews to get tasks done. You know, as as the critical path itself changes and you you see things that need to be done earlier on site, they can be incentivized and you know the the platform sends them you know gift cards and 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 you know these uh, visa cards that you know allow this pool of money to be distributed and yeah, I'll let Sarah explain it better. Yeah, I was going to say, can you let Sarah talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it, actually. I, I like to hear how other people interpret what we do, but it, Jeff, you were really close. Um, so yeah, we Trunk Perform, which is our first product. We have a second one now, but Trunk Perform is an automatic incentive management software. So we have all been on construction sites. We know that it's rough to keep, you know, stay with the schedule, stay with the budget because things just happen. And it's not even like, you know, a lack of competency on site. It's really just the nature of our industry. And so what we're doing, we people upload the schedule and the budget, and then we automatically create path-based incentives. That means if we see that, you know, you have a problem with the curly path with the carpenters, we text every carpenter, hey, instead of eight doors, hang 10 doors today. And each and every one gets $20 extra for doing two extra doors in the same time. The carpenters go out there, hang 10 doors instead of eight doors, and instantly get paid out $20 on these debit cards. So we're not really doing gift cards, we're doing cash. Mm-hmm. Um, then this is all accredited for in accounting and payroll. It is so legal. It works with union and non-union. But the most important thing is that the carpenters get $20 more but the company who employs the carpenters just increased productivity by 25%, which is worth more than $20 to them. So it's really creating a win-win situation by targeting the people to actually focusing on what's important on this day on their job site. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that could also affect eventually, you know, could help the project really come in on time and on budget and you know, higher quality. <laughs> and like yeah. you said, it's a, I, I love it because you always hear about these eBay programs. Oh, go shopping and spend a certain amount of money and then you'll get something back or play this game that might be, maybe a scam enough times and then you'll get money direct, you know, directly deposited to you. But here you're building something important for the community <laughs> while also getting, you know, a reward for doing your job better. So yeah, and we do the same thing. Yeah, we we never roll this out just for productivity. So as you mentioned, I think 
construction has three pillars, right? Productivity, quality, and safety. Mm -hmm. So we always roll it out for all three of these fields because obviously if somebody just works faster, they might cut corners on quality or even worse on safety. And so what we have seen now data is that when you also incentivize safety, we are OSHA compliant. So we're not incentivizing underreporting or whatever. We are really just incentivizing extra safe behavior. And when you do that, people actually start thinking about safety in a very different way because they hear about that Don got $50 because he fixed the scaffolding. And then everybody starts thinking about like, hey, how can I fix the hazard on site mm-hmm. in order to make a little bit extra? And that creates just a, like a broader adoption of safety standards and of safety behavior. Yeah, one of the um, projects that Trunk Perform was used on was uh, the exchange project in Detroit, which um, it was built in a sort of an innovative way. They built floors in the ground and they used strand jacks to pick them up. And, you know, a project like that, that's an experiment itself, um, you know, you can really discover new ways of delivery and, and you know, really incentivize, hey, get this curtain wall done here and we can we can discover, you know, how we can build this thing quicker and better and there'll be a bigger pool of money for everyone at the end. I mean, it's, it's, it's great for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, exchange was a very interesting project in general, or just because of the, as a civil engineer, you're just like, wow, I just want to be part of this. This is like a genius idea. And obviously Bartomel is a great company. Um, what, what was interesting there is we, we did it with steel and concrete and so on. But like for steel, for example, we shaved off more than a day a week for, of their schedule just because we were able to target better how they de- do things, uh, how they collaborate with concrete and so on. So it was a very successful project, I think, for us and for, um, for the Sean contract there. Can you tell us about uh, the rate of adoption of your technology? Um, is your business growing? Are, are you getting more and more users yeah we get, we get more and more users there's interestingly a lot of pull from manufacturing mm-hmm. um so we have a few big manufacturing customers who rolled this out nationally because i think manufacturing thinks more like that historically they think more in like piece rate and and, and you know like getting stuff done regularly um, in construction, we have a really good data and adoption from concrete and steel. Solar is big, right? Because obviously there's more yeah. and more solar and, and huge labor shortage in the solar field. Um, but yeah, we have we get a lot of requests from outside the United States. Um, but for now, we still stay here, um, not just because our banking product is built in the United States, but also because we want to focus on this market first. Yeah, that manufacturing piece, I just got back from Autodesk University in Las Vegas. And, you know, when you see the the tools that they use in manufacturing and how, you know, there's file formats and everything is sort of set up, uh, you know, to create a product, um, you you see how different it is than construction. But, um, you know, we're also seeing some some real crossovers where, you know, the unitized curtain walls, the the other products that can be created in factories and, and you know, fabrication facilities by specialty contractors, they're getting better. We're, we're getting toward production and manufacturing. Yeah, I, that's absolutely a trend. I mean, obviously manufacturing is, is very different, but in the end, what our tool really is and what it's built on is, is psychology. So we work with like, psychologists, professors from Stanford and from MIT and so on to really nail down the psychology behind these incentives. And that would work anywhere, right? Like we have competitors doing this for like 
Starbucks and McDonald's, right? Which is something we definitely don't want to get into. But we know as human species that incentivizing people's behavior with whatever they want at this point, right? Might be cash, might be food, might be something else, but incentives work and we just haven't had any adoption of that in construction before before us the one thing you can't give people is time you know (laughs) hey there's such a labor shortage and we need more people and we're always going to need more work you know i agree with that but then we do something interesting like something questionable as an industry with like overtime and saturday work right where we know when you look at productivity studies from a research perspective we know that there's actually no increase in productivity when people in a physically hard job, when they work 60 hours a week. Um, so it's actually like similar output to like 40 hours a week. And so why, why would we steal away people's time from mm-hmm. their family by forcing them to stay on Saturdays? If we know that there's no, not a productivity gain in doing this. Yeah. You're going to get yeah. worn out. Humans aren't robots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we won't have ro- like we won't have a wide adoption of robots in the field any anytime soon because construction is not repetitive enough uh, in most mm. parts. So we will have another 10, 20 years at least with humans in the field, and so we need to keep them safe and we need to keep them motivated. Yeah, them. You mentioned the solar projects there, and you know you see the the robotic excavators and the the autonomous bobcats that deliver the. Uh you know, the silicon wafers to the site. But, you know, that's really like, we're, we're scratching the surface on that as we try to say, we're like, okay, look, this isn't going to take anybody's job anytime soon. The semi-automated mason or anything like that, it's going to need a lot of people. Yeah. So Sarah, are there are any new iterations coming of your software or what are you working on now? Yeah. So um, I mentioned briefly before we launched a second product um, a, f- a few weeks ago, I think it's, it's pretty new. Um, which is generative AI in, in construction. And everybody will tell you right now to do generative AI. Um, so stick with me. We are actually doing <laughs> it. Um, so what we learned is when we created our incentive product, we used a ton of um, generative AI and large language models to automatically create these incentives. Um, because again, we didn't want to put this on the GC or on the, on the subcontractor. We wanted to do this for them. So we developed a ton of proprietary technology. And then a few months ago, we were like, like probably nine months ago at this point, we were like, what else can we do with this incredible power of technology that we have now? And we did about 20 different MVPs out there. We tested it with real users. And one was just incredibly successful, which is now called Trunk Text. So that's our newest product. And let me ask you a question here. When you think about it, we just launched in a $500 million construction site, right? So like an average high-rise project in New York. You want to take a guess how many pages of documents they have on a $500 million construction site. 500 million pages? No. <laughs> Five, I'd say at least a thousand. A, a, a thousand, a thousand. Yeah. yeah. A couple yeah. thousand. Yeah. We asked them to give us access to their RFIs, their schedule, their change orders, their submittals. So everything that would be in a Procore and an Autodesk construction cloud. We got a total of 3.6 million pages. Oh, so I really, my initial wild guess wasn't that far off. <laughs> I thought no. it was like outrageous, but no. <laughs> no, we got 3.6 million pages. And then if you were to print 3.6 million pages and stack it on top of each other, it's three times as high as the building they're supposed to build. Oh my God. And if you- so we have a stack of, that's insane. <laughs> we have a stack of paper that's three times as high as the building the they're actual producing. Building. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you have to oh. think when you go to the trailer, you see those big sheet sets that, you know, it's, it's in the middle of the trailer for a project site. And that's just one, you know, that's like one of several sets of sheets that, you know, are being used to build that project. Yeah. And so the next thought experiment that we did, we're like, okay, you as a GC, you tell the owner, hey, I have read 3.6 million pages, right? And I'm building it exactly as specified in 3.6 million pages. So if you actually do the math, it takes a human 50 years to read 3.6 million pages. That's the next absurdity, right? And so Mm -hmm. without technology, it takes us 30 seconds. So what we do is we skim through all of those 3.6 million pages. We put a layer of generative AI on top of it. And then it turns the way we give it back to the field people is via a chatbot. So they can ask like, hey, what's the thickness of the ceiling and of the drywall in the residences or in room 200? And within a few seconds, we're going to give them the answer of the thickness of the drywall or like what color paint should I use in the lobby? And again, within a few seconds, we give them Benjamin Moore, white, whatever. Wow. yeah, and for, Where was you know, this when I was a college student doing research? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it knows construction terms. The the LLM does. It can say like, hey, where's the RFI for, you know, this, um, mm-hmm. you know, wall yeah. trunk text. And it can bring it up. You know, the, the difficulty with a lot of these LLMs is, you know, uh, chat GTP isn't going to know what an, what an RFI is. You know, you, you need to, to make it specific for construction, right? Yeah, there's a fundamental difference. It's not just specific for construction, but specific for the project. So the way ChatGPT or large language models work is they're probabilistic, right? So if I ask it, like, the color of the wall in the lobby is, and then the LLM is filling in the most likely answer, and it's trained on all the data out there. So the most likely answer here is white, right? Because most lobbies are white. We as a construction project, we I, I don't care what's most likely, right? I care mm-hmm. what's right for my construction site. So it's a very different part of generative AI what we're using. It's called RAG retrieval augmented generation. And you pretty much it uses a piece of large language models, but we only use the large language models to actually give the answer back in human terminology. What we really do is we take all the data and we vectorize it and we do an enterprise search on top. And again, I don't need to go into details, but it's a big difference of asking ChatGPT about the color in the lobby and asking trunk text about the color in the lobby, because we have the single source of truth, which is all the documents on the construction side and ChatGPT just will give you a channel answer. Yeah. All millions of documents. And, and it sends you the documentation too, is the other thing. It's not just, you know, you, you get those documents with your answer. Oh, no, we keep the human in the loop. I mean, we know construction. Nobody would believe us if we just tell them, oh, it's Benjamin Moore White, right? Like people need to see the RFI or the specifications or wherever that decision was made. So we give them the answer and then we instantly give them a link to the latest RFI or the latest change order or whatever it is. That is so cool. Sir, just on a personal note, um, do you go back home to visit? Yeah, I go back to Austria. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful country. It's great for skiing, and, and Vienna is awesome. Um, beautiful countryside out there. You know, I was back, I was in Munich recently myself, and, you know, we share a an affinity for the Wiesen there in Oktoberfest. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a, I learned about the Oktoberfest, I think, when I, it was probably on a construction site, to be honest. And then somebody told me, you can make a lot of money when you work there. So I somehow made my way there and I became a waitress at Oktoberfest for many years, uh, which financed my undergrad. 
And it was great. I made more money in two weeks at Oktoberfest than six months on a construction site. Oh, yeah. Oh, but it's also wow. way harder to be fair. It was like yeah. incredibly you, hard. How do you lift all of them, Sarah? The, the, I've seen the pictures with all the you know, nine of those leaders in, in two hands. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, construction site training made her very strong, right? That, that's, but that's it, right? Like so many people looked at so I was carrying 14 steins, which with beer, it's a total of 72 pounds. Oh my God. And people would look at me and were like, how can this like girl carry like 72 pounds of beer? And I was like, oh, you should see the wood that I'm carrying usually, right? Like that was just that. <laughs> This is nothing. Uh, yeah. yeah, this isn't steel but, and wood. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's very interesting. I I think I got a, it's it was a good good education at Oktoberfest because you are dealing with you know the farmers that can hardly afford their one beer, and in the same minute you're dealing with a billionaire who is mm. you know just spraying champagne, and so to be able to context switch and communicate and and make create an enjoyable moment for, uh, uh, you know, somebody who is on the poverty line to billionaires in the same second is something that really helps me in my job right now, because I, the context switching that is being an entrepreneur from, you know, dealing with your team, dealing with customers, dealing with fancy investors, um, dealing with people on construction sites. It's just something that I honestly believe I've learned while being a waitress on Oktoberfest. Yeah. And it's all walks of life. People from, you know, Scotland, uh, you know, the Middle East, everywhere. You see everyone there. Yeah, I will never forget the the Japanese um, businessman that sh really are not built to drink a lot of beer, but they are still there. <laughs> oh, hey, don't uh, underestimate the drinking capacities of some of these Asians, man. <laughs> like me. <laughs> I know. I was, yeah, some of them. It's a hit and miss. It's, it's great. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, we wrote about trunk text a few weeks ago. Um, you know, are you uh, working on any other new products? I know you've always got stuff uh, going on and you're working <laughs> with Suffolk and the, the bigger general contractors out there. Yeah, we are, we are partnering with, with some of the big cheesies right now for the next big tool pretty much, which is, it's going to be a built on top of trunk text. So trunk text, as we discussed, right, it's really good at like skimming through millions of pages and answering questions. But that's obviously just the first glimpse of what generative AI is, is, is capable of doing. So when we really think about what this generative AI can do, it's like, it's digesting a ton of data really quickly in a humanly digestible way. And when you think about it, there's no other industry where this discrepancy between of amount of data and ever-changing amount of data. And on the other side, you have a ton of different stakeholders that should interact with the data, but really are not trained or really don't like to interact with data. So this discrepancy is higher than in any other industry. If you think about like the medical field, you mm -hmm. have a lot of data, but on the other side, you have people who went to you know college for 20 years and really like reading books. In construction, you have people who yeah. want to build something with their hands, and that's what they're trained for and proud of. And you really don't want them to be, they get, you know, they're not, they don't want to sit in front of a computer for like 10 hours a day and figure out like what they're supposed to be building. Yeah, or they don't want to go to meetings. That's the other thing is, you know, you, you don't want to be in meetings all day. If you're, you're a subcontractor on a project, you want shop drawings, you want something that's good for, for the job you're going to be doing. And the system is sort of set up to give you that. So... I think there's value yeah. there. Yeah, and I think the 
the second level of what we are planning on doing is 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 there that's what a real value is so we with generative ai you can actually like forecast a lot of things you can do data analysis on a whole different level than we were able to do it with like machine learning and so what we are playing around with right now is actually like because we sit on all this data we can automatically forecast rfis right just by the data ingestion we know where there's data gaps and then we can tell report back to the gc or to the to the owner and be like hey here's like a thousand decisions that haven't been made yet. How about like you make them now instead of make them when it's too late and we're in the middle of the project and the, the tradespeople are waiting to do their job and they can't do their job because XYZ hasn't been decided. So there's a lot of like second and third level things that we are that we are working on right now that are really fundamentally going to change how we approach construction. Last thing I'm going to say here is we with what we are doing, we think we'll get to a point where we can create the same effect as a BIM model has without the 3D visualization. Wow, that would be very powerful. It would be very powerful. Yeah, I'm not saying we're there, but that's very much like where we're heading um, because a BIM model is nothing else theoretically than all the data, but in a you know in a pretty 3D model with parameters and yeah, yeah exactly. It's like organizing the data in a humanly digestible way. And our approach is that we can do this as well, but without needing the architect to, you know, create a perfect 3D model. Yeah, that, I by get... the way, stops being perfect as soon as we start working on site. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get two pitches a week on, you know, AI. And, and you know, I think there's, there's a lot of investment in it for construction right now. I think that's good. But I really love the approach you guys are taking to it, where it's, you know, it is sort of like everything you do, construction-centric. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, particularly, you know, some, some skepticism about, oh, is this going to take people's jobs? And it's like, I, I wish people would look at it as an enabler. It's not a, um, yeah. you know, a disruptor so much as is an enabler of what we're already doing, right? Just helping us do it better. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know who said that, but I'm, I'm quoting it. I should eventually Google it. But somebody said, like, AI is not going to take your job, but the people using AI will. And I think that's fundamentally true. And we see this already. It's like we, we did a study and we saw that 20% of a workday, it's a study that was done by McKinsey and then we did it for construction, but 20% of each workday is spent looking for information, 20%. Yeah, that's a big chunk of time. And then the other thing is like 6.5% of rework are because the wrong data is with the wrong person at the wrong point in time. So if you give people access to the data in a simple way, which is exactly what we're doing, you can reduce rework 65%. And that's fundamentally going to change the margins in this industry. And it's going to change the animosity too, because, you know, skilled laborers don't like to tear out their own work. You know, there's, there's a pride there. And, um, you know, if you make a mistake as a PM or something like that, and you have to do that, like your name's mud. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I hated it. I was like, you build something for weeks and then somebody shows up and is like, oh no, like change this for like, you know, one feet. I was like, who cares yeah. about one feet? Like we already mm -hmm. did this, right? It's like, yeah, but you better follow. Well, this has been amazing, Sarah. I really look forward to seeing, you know, what more change waves you make in the construction industry. And it's just so extra cool that, you know, it's a woman doing it. So... <laughs> It's a tradesperson doing it. I don't really see tradeswoman doing it's it. Like a woman yeah. or not, but but I think this field first approach that we have always had is is just what fundamentally it's going to differentiate us because anything we build, we 
first thing we do is we give it to like five to ten tradespeople and we ask them like what do you think and and they're honest right i love this oh, instruction yeah. and they will like sir this sucks i'm like okay <laughs> thank you for your feedback yes blunt is best sometimes you know <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that's where like a lot of people I, I remember being in business school and people were like, Oh, you're like blunt and brusque and like whatever and then they were like, Oh, that's probably Austrian culture. And I was like, No, that's construction culture. Yep. We mm-hmm. just don't have time to for BS. We just we just need to build something. Yep. And I think we have built a great podcast with that. Um yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Sarah Buckner. Always great to share stories with you and, and get more you know we're definitely going to pay attention here at enr what trunk tools is doing and uh it's been a real pleasure thank you very much for having me this has been the enr critical path podcast i'm jeff yoders and i'm eileen Cho. to hear more podcasts go to enr.com backslash podcasts or follow us on apple or spotify and thanks for listening thanks everyone goodbye